Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Good. Hey, we're going to begin by playing a little game of get to know your neighbor. So here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to talk to the person that you came with because you already know them. Uh, I want you to find somebody around you who you do not yet know, introduce yourself, get their name, and ask them, what is your favorite day of the year? I want you to tell somebody around you your name and your favorite day of the year. So go ahead and let's start right now. Now, this is where I struggle to bring it back. Okay, here we go. I feel like a teacher trying to, like, calm down a class, right? This just doesn't work at all. Inevitably, it takes forever. That's okay. Uh, Hey, quick show of hands. Let's do it as a group. How many of you would raise your hand and say, my favorite day of the year is Christmas? Anybody in the room? Yeah, I would guess this is probably the biggest group in the room. At least it was at the last couple services. Uh, How many of you would say your favorite day of the year is Thanksgiving? Yeah, these are the people who love the winter holidays but not the stress of Christmas. So it just by default becomes Thanksgiving, right? Uh, Anybody would say that your favorite holiday or your favorite day of the year is Easter? Yeah, these are all the suck-ups, right? (laughs) We're in church. It's like, oh, it's probably Easter for me. No, I love Easter. I love Easter as well. I would say it's my favorite day of the year. It's probably the most significant day of the year. But for somebody who works at a church, we do nine services over three days with a, with a sunrise service. So I'm up at like five on Easter morning. So typically on Easter, by the time I get to the afternoon, I just want to nap. I'm like, everybody leave me alone. Jesus rose from the dead. We're all saved. Like, let me sleep. Um, anybody go off, off? you know, kind of away from the national holidays. Anybody say that your favorite day of the year is your birthday? Yeah? So, okay, these are, the, these are like the most uh, self-absorbed people in the room, right? <laughs> this is, you're unabashedly, like, you know, excited about your birthday. No, I do. I love my birthday. I, historically, that has been my favorite day of the year. Uh, as I approach 40, it's quickly shifted from my favorite day of the year to one of my least favorite days of the year. Some of you understand what I'm talking about there. Yeah. Uh, well, why are we doing this? Why are we talking about our favorite days throughout the year? Why are we talking about our favorite days across the calendar? We're doing it because today, as Ashley said, we're kicking off a new series called Feasts. As you look at the Old Testament and the nation of Israel, as God established this new nation, he gave them seven different things to celebrate, seven seven different feasts. As you read through the first five books of the Old Testament, what Jewish people would consider the Torah or the Pentateuch, you get to read where God gave these holidays to people because he wanted them to celebrate. Over the next several weeks, we're going to camp out on one of those holidays, one of those feasts every week, and we're going to talk about its origins. We're going to talk about where it comes from and why God gave it to his people and what it says about our faith today, because as we're going to see, every single one of these feasts was fulfilled in Jesus, and it has impact for our faith and our relationship with God today. This morning, we're going to kick things off by looking at the Feast of First Fruits. but before we get into this specific one, I want to talk a little bit about where these all come from. You might remember, if you've read through the book of Genesis, the history of the nation of Israel. It began with a promise that God made to this man named Abraham. And he said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And then he got to work fulfilling that promise. 
He gave Abraham a son named Isaac, and Isaac gave Abraham a grandson named Jacob. Well, Jacob had his name changed by God to Israel. That's where the the nation of Israel comes from, this one man named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons of his own, and they became their, their own kind of patriarchs of their families. And so each of these 12 sons had big families, and they all became essentially tribes of people. They were the 12 tribes that descended from Jacob, or the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, there was a famine that hit the area of Canaan where they were living, the region that they were living in. And so all 12 of these families moved and relocated their families to Egypt where there was plenty of food and prosperity. They moved to Egypt. They relocated all 12 tribes of Jacob, all 12 tribes of Israel to Egypt where they grew and they prospered until it got to the point where they were threatening to the the Egyptians. And the Egyptians looked at these people, not because the Israelites were actually threatening them, but they said, oh my goodness, these people, this this family is exploding. If they wanted to, eventually, this keeps continuing going down the course it's on. They could take over our empire. And so the Egyptians enslaved the family of Israel, the family of Jacob, the family of Abraham. And so for the next 400 years, this family grew under the bondage of slavery in Egypt. After 400 years, God said, okay, now the time is right. The nation of people, well, they weren't a nation yet. The family of Israel is big enough. They're the right size. They're at the right place. They're ready to go. And so God sends Moses to lead the family tribes of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He says, I'm going to give you a land. This is the land that I promised to your ancestor Abraham to give to his descendants. But before you do, I need to prepare you. And so God made the Israelites camp out in the wilderness. He made them stay in the desert for 40 years while he prepared them for this, for this essentially new nation that was being born. They had never governed themselves. They had never led themselves. They didn't know anything about legislation or ruling people or, or settling cases or deciding you know, matters of state. And so God took 40 years to prepare the nation of Israel for this experience of becoming their own country. And when he did it in the law, the Old Testament, five books, first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, we read about all the instructions he gave them. This is why if you just jump into like the book of Leviticus, for example, and you start reading, it can feel kind of dry if you don't know what you're reading. But when you understand these are the instructions God gave to a people to establish a new country, and these are the rules and the guidelines and the laws, you understand. You go, oh, okay, this is, this is actually really fascinating. And so it's in the law that God gave the nation of Israel these seven holidays, these seven feasts that he wanted them to celebrate. And one of the things that we want to ask ourselves is why? Why in the midst of all these instructions, why did God give the Israelites seven different holidays? Why did he say fill the calendar with opportunities to celebrate? Well, I think a big part of the reason is simply because God loves to party. I think God loves to party. Yeah, that's good news, right? Some of us grew up thinking God's favorite thing to do is frown, right? We just grew up thinking that God was like really upset about something. But I don't think that's the case. I don't think that God is sitting in eternity in paradise, surrounded by everything that is good and perfect and beautiful and angels and all this stuff, like bummed out. I think God's, God's excited. God's happy. Now, I don't mean that in a dishonoring way. I don't mean it to say that I, think, I don't think God is, I'm not trying to imply God looks down at all the pain and suffering among the people of earth and he's happy about it. Certainly not. And I don't mean it in a flippant way. I'm not trying to say that God's just throwing a giant keg party and he's like 
always slightly buzzed. That's not what I'm saying. But when you look at the the scriptures, we are given a description of what God is like. We are literally told a little bit about the personality of God. It's called the spirit of God, if you will. And we're told, we're promised that when we make a decision to follow Jesus with our life, we're promised that we'll be filled with his spirit. And we're told what some of the characteristics of that spirit are. And it's interesting to me that as you look at the list of the fruits of the Spirit, the very, the very second thing on the list after love, love is the first thing on the list to which we all go, yeah, that makes sense. The, the very second thing, the very next thing after that is joy. The fruits of the Spirit are love and joy. God says that when you are filled with my Spirit, your life will be marked by joy. And so he gives these instructions to the Israelites to help, help them celebrate and to party and to have a feast. And it's important to remember that he gives the Israelites these instructions even before they get into the promised land. While they were still in the wilderness, God gave instructions to Moses for the Israelites to, to celebrate these various feasts. As I said, we're going to look at the Feast of First Fruits this morning. And so if you brought a Bible, you can open it to Leviticus chapter 23. Otherwise, we'll put it up right here on the sides. In Leviticus 23, we we read that the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I am going to give you, and when you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. You must not eat any bread or roasted or new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. God said, when when you inherit the land that I promised to Abraham, you're finally going to be able to grow your own crops. Now, we gloss over that, but this was huge for the nation of Israel. For the last 40 years, they had been wandering around in the desert where they could not grow any crops. They were in a desert. And so God had to miraculously feed them by sending them manna and quail. You should read that part of the Bible sometimes. Super interesting. Today, we, we hear that and we think, well, wasn't that a better setup? Like, wasn't it, <clears throat> weren't they better off, like, when they didn't have to work and God still provided food for them? Like, we think about that, we think, that's pretty sweet. Like, I wish I didn't have to go to work. I could just hang out all day with people and do what I want, and then, like, there would just be food on the table every night. That would be great, you know? What is it tonight, God? It's Manna Mondays. It's Taco Tuesdays, you know? What do you got coming on Wednesday? We would love that. But no. That's actually, that would get old pretty fast. If you want to be reminded of what a blessing it is to work hard and to provide, just find a head of household who is struggling to find a job. And they will tell you what a blessing it is to work. And so part of the blessing that God was giving to the Israelites was in giving them a land of their own was the blessing that they would finally be able to do what they wanted with the land. They would finally be able to have the freedom and control over what they did with their time and what crops they planted and what crops they grew and what they ate. And God said, hey, listen, I know that when you finally get into the promised land, when you finally start growing crops of your own, you will not be able to wait to eat that, to eat the fruit of your labor. But before you do, before you eat any of it, I want you to bring the first fruits of it to the priest as an offering to me. We get some more instructions in some of the other books of the Pentateuch. In Exodus 34, we read that God didn't want just any of the first fruits. Look what it says in 34, 26. Uh, God tells the Israelites, he says, bring the what? 
Best. Yeah, he says, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Bring it to church. God didn't just want any first fruits. He said, I want the best of the first fruits. This is where we get the phrase or the idea that we want to be people who bring our first and our best. Sometimes you'll hear us talk about that. We'll say we want to bring our first and our best. This is where that comes from. The book of Numbers gives us a few more details. Uh, in Numbers 28, we read, on the, first, or on the day of first fruits, when you present to the Lord an offering of new grain, during the Feast of Weeks, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. So not only did God ask them to bring their first fruits, he asked them to bring the best of the first fruits. And not only did he ask them to bring the best of their first fruits to the temple and to give it to the priest as an offering to God, he said, I want you to set aside an entire day to celebrate. As you kick off the Feast of Weeks or the Festival of Weeks, I want you to do no regular work. God was asking for the first and the best, but he was asking it as a celebration for the people to enjoy. As you read throughout the law, you realize that this was a theme. That God didn't just ask the Israelites to bring the first and the best of the harvest. He asked for the first and the best of almost every aspect of their life. This is even true of their week, of their time. God said, I want the first and the best of your time. I want you to give the first day of the week to me as a Sabbath. Since that day is given to me, I get to choose what you do with it. I want you to do nothing. This is a blessing to you. I want you to not do anything on the first day of the week as an offering to me. Now this had to just be so radical for the original recipients of these instructions. To go, God, what are you talking about? If we don't work, we don't eat. We're trying to establish a new nation here. We're inheriting this new land. There are already inhabitants in it that have a head start on us. We've got to do all the time and all the work we can. We have to give it everything we've got to catch up. And God said, no, I want the first and the best of your time. I want a Sabbath. He said this with their families as well. He said it even with their, with their offspring and with the, the firstborn of their, of their cattle and their animals. He said, I want the first to be dedicated to me. God said, over the coming years and over the coming generations, the nation of Israel, you're going to grow. Your families are going to explode. You will, you will expand as a people. But I want you to remember the entire time that I am the reason your families are growing. And so I want every single family to remember this by dedicating to me their four, firstborn male child. I want you to dedicate the first to me. As we read throughout the scriptures, we see this over and over and over again. Those are just a few examples. But God asked for the first and the best repeatedly. And this practice carries over into the New Testament. And it was carried over by the first church. And it has been handed down even to us. And today, we want to be people who live and bring to God our first fruits as well with everything that we have. Today, we want to be people who bring to God the first fruits of our time and of our money and of our careers and of our gifts and our abilities and our families and everything we have. We believe that everything we have control over is something that we have the ability to leverage for the glory of God. And there are so many reasons why we do this. 
There are so many reasons why we want to bring our first and our best to God. There are so many reasons why it is good for us to bring our first and our best to God. Even when we don't see why we would want to, it is still so good for us to do it. It is in our own best interest. But not only us. It is so good for the people around us. It is so good for the communities that God has planted us into for us to bring our first and our best to him. And the first reason is simply that it is glorifying to God. It is honoring to him. The first reason that we give God our first fruits is that it is honoring to him. Anytime that we put somebody else first, we are honoring them with that in in whatever the situation is. I'll give you a very lame example. Um, my wife knows that I have a sweet tooth, and I would eat, like, sugar three meals a day, every day of the week if I could. I just, I've got a sweet tooth, right? Uh, and she understands that because she has one, too. And we used to live down in Illinois, in Rockford, and there was this little restaurant there, this little bakery called Mary's Market that made the best sugar cookies. They were so good, so sweet. They were, like, covered in this, like, liquid sugar. I don't know how they do it or what it is, but they're so good. And so we're, we still have family down there, and she has brothers that live down there. And so every once in a while, she'll be in Rockford, and I won't be there. And when she comes back, she'll say, hey, John, I stopped by Mary's Market, and I got you a cookie. It's in the bag on the counter. And so I'll excitedly go to the kitchen to the counter, and I'll open the bag. And a lot of times what I find is about half of a cookie. And I know she had it sitting in the car next to her for an hour and a half drive back, and she just gave in to temptation and ate it, which I don't care. I love it. It's still good. I'm like, thank you. You should eat half the cookie. I don't need the whole thing, right? But, but, but occasionally, she'll say, hey, I was in Rockford. I stopped by Mary's Market. I got you a cookie. It's on the counter. I'll go out. I'll open it, and I'll see what? The whole cookie. And I'll go, wow. I get the whole thing. And inevitably, I'll eat part of it, and I'll give her part of it. I'll break it. I'll go, hey, you eat some of this. I know you love these too. Now, in both examples, both cases, both scenarios, I eat part of the cookie. She eats part of the cookie. But which one do you think feels more honoring to me? This is not a trick question. (laughs) Yeah, when I get the whole cookie, when she offers to me the first and the best, because inevitably there's a portion of it that's the best. You know what I'm talking about if you eat cookies, right? You can look at a cookie and you go, that's the best part, and you eat that part, right? Yeah. This is true with everything we do. It is always more honoring to put other people first. This is why we open doors for people. We say, after you, I want to honor you by letting you go first. This is why when you're going out on dates and you're meeting somebody, like, I, I just remember, you know, when I was being taught, my dad told me, like, okay, when you go on a date, here's what you do. You want to, you know, pull out the seat for the girl. Don't push her aside and find the best seat and then, like, sit down while she's just standing there, you know, right? So, so we honor them by, by waiting to be seated until they're seated. When the waiter comes to take our orders, you say, after you, you let them place their order first because it's an honor to go first. And in so many ways, in so many aspects of our life, we understand that intuitively this is true. It is an honor when we place someone else first and we place ourselves below them, behind them, second to them. And this is what happens when we bring our first and our best to God. It is a simple act of honor to bring our first to him. It's also honoring to God because it is in our hearts a way of saying, God, I understand you are the one who has provided for me. We recognize that all that we have has come from you, that you are the one who has given it to us in the first place. For the nation of Israel, they understood that this was true. Any farmers in the room or people who come from agricultural backgrounds, you know this is true. You can plant the right crops, the right seeds. 
You can prepare the soil for that planting. You can tend to the crops. But at the end of the day, you do not have much control over what happens next. That it is God who makes the crops grow. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul took this idea of planting and harvesting and he applied it to our impact on the communities around us as he was teaching the early Christians to, 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 kind of, to kind of work the soil, so to speak, in a spiritual sense. And he, again, points to the same idea that, that we want to honor God because at the end of the day, it's him who makes the crops grow. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 3, 7. He writes, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who is the one who makes things grow. This verse is why we say all the time around here that at Heartland, we're simply trying to create a safe and welcoming environment for God to do what only God can do, which is change lives for all of eternity. That's what we're a part of here. That's what you're a part of as, as a Heartlander. We are trying to create an environment that is safe and welcoming and inviting and inclusive to simply say to our community, come learn about God and grow here. Ask tough questions here. You are welcome here. You are wanted here. And we're just going to get out of the way and let God do what only he can do, which is change lives from the inside out. So the Israelites gave their first fruits as an act of honor to God. Another reason that we give our first fruits to God is that it's an act of faith. It is a step of faith, sometimes a scary step of faith, to give the first and the best away to God. But that's what God was asking him to do. He was asking them to take a step of faith. He was asking them to do this, this festival early in the spring after the very first crops have started to come in. He didn't give them instructions to do this in the fall after the final harvest. He wanted it in the early, in the early part of the calendar. So at this point in the year, they would not yet know how much they would have at the end of the year. I'll illustrate it with kind of a rough, you know, example here, two examples. In both of these examples, let's just pretend that we're going to give 10% to God and live off the other 90%. What God was asking the Israelites to do is give the first 10% that came in, and he said, you'll be able to live off the rest. That's obviously much more anxiety-inducing than if they could have done the second example, which is live off the first 90%, and then at the end of the year, been like, okay, we're good. God, here's what we didn't need. And so what God was asking them to do, and what God is inviting us to do, is to take a small step of faith. He says, I want you to get comfortable trusting me when you do not see the future, when you cannot see what's coming down the road. I want you to give to me what you have up front. And, and I want you to know, I will provide for you. I, there will be more where that comes from. You don't need to worry. You don't need to stress. I want you to take a step of faith, and I want you to honor me by giving the first part and know I will provide more for you later. When we do that, obviously it's, it's more intimidating, that's scarier, but when we do that, our faith grows. And as our faith grows, God invites us to step into increasingly significant situations where we would not have been able to be invited into those situations if our faith hadn't grown. And so this is part of becoming more and more like, like Christ, like God, and then being used by him at a deeper level. A third reason we give our first fruits is because it is an acknowledgement that he is the true owner of everything. King David reminds us this in the Psalms many times. Maybe the most clear, though, is in Psalm 24, 1, which simply says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He reflected in his journal that everything on the earth 
is the Lord's. It is so easy for us to look at our lives and different aspects of our lives, let's just say our bank accounts. It is so easy for us to look at our bank accounts and to think, this is mine. I worked hard for this. It's so easy for us to look at our bank accounts and think, you know what, I went to school, I worked hard in school, I got a degree, I got an education, I went out and I got a job, and I work hard at my job. I'm consistent, I'm reliable, I'm hardworking, I work hard for what I have, this is mine, and I'm going to enjoy it. But we all know that's not true. We all know at the end of the day that if God wanted it, he could take it in an instant. Here today, gone tomorrow, right? We have a phrase to describe that. All of us have either had times in our life where we've been surrounded by family or friends whose lives illustrate the fact that, that, that we do not have control over, over our lives and what we have. Any amount of control that we think we have is just an illusion. At the end of the day, we don't have any control. And so it's a much better way to live to remember that on the front side and to live our lives kind of with an open palms and say, look, God, everything I have, it's all yours anyway. You take what you want, you do with it what you want, you give me what you want. Like, it's all just very fluid. God, I'm not going to go through life with my, my hands folded over on it, trying to hold on to it, trying to control it, trying to provide for myself and trying to save enough because we don't have any control. At the end of the day, living life that way doesn't do any good and it robs us of the joy and the experience of living a life of faith. The final reason I'll give you this morning that we, we want to bring our first and our best to God is that it is a testimony to the people around us. It's a testimony without any words spoken. From the very beginning, God had wanted the nation of Israel and, and all of the people of God all the way down to us today to have an impact on the people around us. This is why Jesus in the New Testament would refer to his followers as the light of the world. He said that you who are my followers, you will shine a bright light into an otherwise dark place. That's why he referred to you as the salt of the earth. He said that as my followers, you will be the preservative. You will be the ones who keep things from just totally falling into total chaos. He said, you will be the salt of the earth. You will be the flavoring agent that impacts the entire dish, and it changes the flavor for everybody who eats it. As a result of our lives, the idea is that more and more people would get to step into the kingdom of God and understand what we understand and enjoy what we enjoy. As I said earlier, Jesus himself would fulfill all of these feasts. He would fulfill this one in Luke chapter 10. He would take the idea of a harvest and the giving of the first fruits, and he would apply it to our faith and to the expansion of the kingdom of God. In Luke 10, we read that the Lord chose 72 other disciples. So in addition to the 12, there were some other disciples. So Jesus chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all of the towns and places he planned to visit. He said, I want you to go before me. Go into these towns, people. These were the instructions he gave to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Jesus said the harvest is great. He said these communities surrounding you are ready for the harvest, but there needs to be some workers who show them what this is like. So pray that God would do more work in the harvest. John records Jesus one time talking about this in chapter 4. We read that Jesus said, four months be, or, You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. 
The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest, check this out, is people brought to eternal life. We are invited to be the harvesters in our community. And the harvest that we bring in, the fruit that we harvest, is people who will inherit eternal life. He says, what joy, there's our word again, what joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. It is a joy to be a part of what God is doing in our community. God has uniquely placed you in the lives of people for a reason. He has invited you to to experience joy as you make an impact with your time, with your one and only life. And this is exactly what we're doing. This is exactly what we are part of in Deep and Wide. This is what makes Deep and Wide so incredibly special. We believe that God is inviting us to bring together these two harvests. For those of you who are new to Heartland, you should know that we're in a 24-month season of ministry right now that we're calling Deep and Wide, where we are literally inviting people to bring their first fruits in the forms of tithes and offerings to the church, and we're doing it so that, and our prayer is so that, we can take part in an even greater harvest in the spiritual sense that Jesus talked about. For those of you who made a commitment last year when we kicked this off, this is exactly what you have been doing. And let me just remind you that what Jesus said about the, about the harvest being ripe, about the fields being ripe, let me just remind you that that is true in our community. We live in a fantastic community. And when you look around at our community, you, you can see so many things that are going great for our community. People are doing relatively really well. Employment is high. Crime is low. The schools are good. The restaurants are good. The shopping is good. The parks are clean. By and large, people are doing all right. But you and I both know that below the surface, our community is just like every community around the world. It is filled with people who are hurting and who are broken. Our community, despite all that it has going for it, is filled with people who are confused and who are trying to make sense of this one short life that they have, and the idea of morality, and all of the pain and suffering going on in the world around them. And we have been invited to usher them into the kingdom of God. We have been invited to have the joy of introducing them to their creator. We are surrounded by a community of people who desperately need to know how deeply and passionately loved they are by the God of the universe. What joy we have in doing that. Now rarely do we have such a, such a quick opportunity to put a passage of scripture or a topic from scripture into practice. Normally at the end of a teaching, I'll say something like, okay, now in the next couple weeks, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be on the lookout for this. Or I'll say like, okay, now tomorrow when you get up and go to work, here's what I want you to be prepared for. This is what I want you to think about. But we're not going to do that this week. Today, I want to invite you to actually put this into practice today. We don't have to wait any longer. We're going to close our services today by inviting ourselves to, to, to bring our first fruits to God and to ask Him, to say through our actions, God, you said that the, the fields were ripe, but the workers are few. Well, here we are. God, here is a community of several hundred people who is asking you, send us into the fields.
Lord, use us. Here, we're willing. We're ready to go. We are chomping at the bit to get to work. So God, use us. Bring that harvest in. Through deep and wide, we're acknowledging that whenever the people of God have come together in a special way and have pulled their resources, God has honored that act of commitment, that that act of sacrifice, that act of faith, and he has done incredible things in people's communities. He's done this all across the globe throughout all of the ages, and we're simply asking God to do it again. We're going, God, here we are. We are a humble group of people who are humbly bringing together our resources, the resources that belong to you anyway. And we're offering back to you our first and our best. And we're just saying, God, do what you do. Do it in our community. Do it in our schools and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces. Do it in our community, God. Now, if you're new to Heartland, as we do this, no, there is never any pressure to give financially. You just... You came on a fun weekend because you're going to get to see a group of people do something that is not normal in our culture today. But I want to invite the band to come back up and to kind of prepare us for the end of our service as we, we take the opportunity to bring our first fruits. Underneath your chairs, there are some cards. I want to invite everybody in the room to go ahead and reach down and grab that card right now, whether you're going to be filling one out or not. Along with the card, there should be a pen. I want to invite you to grab the pen as well. And I want you to open the card and look at the card. I want to set up a moment here because this is not just the simple act of of turning in a card that we, you know, put some stuff on. Like, I want us to understand the magnitude of this moment. I want us to understand how special this moment is. For so many of us who are part of what God is doing here, we're just praying that we would get to be part of, of what God wants to do. That as we're praying that he would do it again, that, that, that we would be the ones who get to invest in that. And so as you look at your card, you're going to see three options on there. There's some basic information to fill out, and then I want to invite you to check one of these three cards. The first option says, I'm new to deep and wide, I'm in, and I'm committed. This is for anybody who has not yet made a formal deep and wide commitment. Maybe you've been around, maybe you've plugged in, maybe you are a part of the church, maybe you're even already giving, and you're already part of an investment of bringing your first fruits here, but I want to give you the opportunity to formally declare to God, I am committed to bringing my first fruits to you. If that's you, that's your box. The second option says that I or we are adjusting what was originally committed. Maybe you were here a year ago and you made a commitment, but now here you are a year later and your situation has changed. Your circumstances have changed. So this, at the halfway point of Deep and Wide, is an opportunity for you to adjust your commitment. The third option says that we are committed to finishing strong. For many of us, hundreds of Heartland families, we made a commitment last year and we got on automatic giving or we started writing those checks but for the last year we have been bringing our first fruits to God and we have the privilege of knowing that what God has done in this place in the last year has been because of our financial investment that this place would not exist that this ministry would not exist if it were not for our faithful giving so praise God for that praise God for the eternal impact that he has made through your giving already I want to give all of us the opportunity to recommit ourselves to that at the halfway point, to remind ourselves what we're doing, to remind ourselves why we're doing it, to remind ourselves that we are part of something special. So I want to invite the band to start to lead this song, and I want to give you just a couple minutes at the beginning of the song to stay seated and to think and to pray and to talk and to write. 
and to, to kind of put your heart in a place where you get to bring your first fruits to God. And then about halfway through this song, I'm gonna come back up and I'm gonna set up the moment where we're gonna turn in our commitment cards and bring our first fruits to Him. Before we do that, will you pray with me? Lord, we recognize that you have invited your people to bring their first and their best. And so Lord, here we are. We are a group of people who have gathered together this morning and we are taking the opportunity to put your calling into practice, to bring our first and our best and to humbly submit it to you, to commit ourselves, to say, Lord, if the fields are ripe, I wanna be part of the harvesters. And so God, we pray that you, would, that you would speak to us in this moment. We pray that your Holy Spirit would fill this room. We pray that you would be honored through our actions and through the words of this song. And so Lord, now we give you this time and we pray that you would be honored in it. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone who agreed said amen.
I want to invite you to stand where you are. I'm going to invite our team to come forward and to pass baskets down each row. And we are going to bring our first and our best. We are going to give our first fruits to the God of the universe. And we're going to ask him to take it and multiply it and release it in our community in ways that only he can. And we're going to watch God do an incredible work through us. So enjoy this moment. This is a celebration. I've seen you move. so grateful for what you are doing in our church. We're so grateful for what you're doing in our community. Lord, it is a privilege to be a part of it. And so, Lord, we just humbly ask for you to do even more, to continue working through us, to continue changing us. Lord, we pray that you would allow us to reach even wider into our community, to bring even more people into the kingdom of God for your glory. Lord, go before us and open those doors. We love you and thank you for everything that you have given us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Everyone who agreed said, Amen.